Bella, page 7. A job. Pietro had found her a job. Grazie, Bella murmured, keeping her eyes downcast like a proper, obedient Italian girl, which was funny because she had been neither proper nor obedient back home in her village, Calia. She'd been the girl whose braids were always coming undone, who ran through the men's bocce games, who hitched up her skirts to chase after the goats. But since she'd left for America, sometimes she felt like she'd left that girl behind, just as completely as she'd left Mama and the little ones. This was a new Bella in the new world. A new Bella who didn't even dare to look at Pietro in the eye. Don't you want to know what the job is? Pietro asked, a mocking tone in his voice that seemed to say, behind the words, stupid girl, no more brains than a mule, and she actually thinks she'll be capable of doing some big job in New York City. See, Bella said, so softly he probably couldn't hear her over the noise from the streets. There were always no- there was always noise from the streets, voices calling out, Apples, apples, get your apples here, mixing with odd music and the clatter of a monstrous elevated train whizzing past just the other side of the wall. This morning, coming from Ellis Island, Bella had been terrified, clutching Pietro's arm as they fought their way through the crowd. She was afraid that she'd be trampled. She was even a little afraid that the American officials might change their minds and hunt her down and send her back. That had already happened to the family she'd come over with on the boat. The Pisani, Bella had planned to live with, the one who dreamed of gold and assured Bella, again and again, anything is possible in America. They hadn't even been allowed off Ellis Island. It was because of something about their eyes— Bella was just lucky her eyes were different. Lucky she'd remembered her distant cousin Pietro. Lucky he'd come and agreed to take her on in America. She'd even felt lucky when he ordered her to stay inside, sheltered from all the bustle and noise while he went away. But after hours of sitting alone in an airless room, waiting, Bella's restlessness had begun to outweigh her fear. The old Bella would have gone back out and found out who was making that music, she told herself. She would have examined the apples and imagined which one she'd buy, if she had the money. She would have watched that marvel, the train, so that someday she could tell Ricardo just how it worked. Ricardo was her middle brother, the one who asked the most questions. Though Giovanni asked a lot of questions, too, and, Bella, Pietro said, as if to remind her that he was back now, that he was trying to tell her about her job. Maybe he could see that her mind had just traveled back to Italy, back to the family she hadn't seen in three weeks. Maybe he even noticed the tears threatening at the corner of her eyes, because his voice softened a little. You'll be working at the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. It's a good job. A factory. Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. Bella turned the words over in her head, hoping to make sense of them so she wouldn't look stupid again. But it was useless. What's a shirtwaist? she asked. Pietro's face turned slightly red. It's what girls and women wear here, like a blouse, except different, with a tight neck, and he cupped his work-roughened hands over his shoulders, maybe to indicate pools of fabric. And it's really pinched in at the waist. He blushed even more furiously. 
The old Bella would have laughed at his embarrassment. Pietro was a boy and older than her, and she barely knew him, but she still would have dared to make fun of him. Now, though, she felt her own face growing hot. I think I saw someone wearing one of those, out in the street, she said quickly. She looked like a princess. Indeed, Bella had stared after the girl in the delicately embroidered, high-necked, puff-sleeved blouse, as though she'd come out of a fairy tale. Bella had done her share of laundry back home. Surely only a fairy tale princess could keep her clothes so perfectly white and clean. The door swung open just then, slamming against the wall. A stout woman in a black dress stood in the doorway, with a dirty baby in one arm and three equally dirty children clinging to her skirt. Pietro took a step back. Signora Luciano, he began, and Bella braced for the introductions. Briangiorno, she would say. Thank you for taking me into your home. It is so kind of you to have Pietro and me as boarders. Bella knew how to be polite. She just hadn't had much practice. But Signora Luciano was glaring at Pietro. You talk so loud. Everyone can hear, she shouted at him. Are you crazy? You got her a job at the Triangle Factory? You stupid, ignorant boy. This girl is just off the boat, and you think she can work in a place like that? She'll be fired inside of a day, and then she'll be charged for the thread and the needles and the chair and, I don't know, the electricity. It was so hard to understand Signora Luciano, partly because she was screaming so loudly, and partly because her words sounded garbled, too stretched out with the accents coming down in the wrong places. Bella remembered that Pietro had said that the Lucianos came from another part of Italy. Was this still Italian she was speaking? It had to be, because otherwise Bella wouldn't have been able to understand her at all. Bella will start as a learner, Pietro said. She'll do fine. Bella was glad to hear that, glad that Pietro was standing up for her. Pah! Signora Luciano exploded. She looked Bella up and down, in a way that made Bella feel that her own face was dirty, and that Signora Luciano knew that Bella hadn't been able to wash her underthings since she'd left home. You watch out. She'll end up in the streets. Who sends a girl alone to this country? Bella wanted to protest. She hadn't been sent alone. It wasn't her fault the officials on Ellis Island were so picky about who they let in. But Signora Luciano was still talking. I tell you and tell you, she can work for me, making the flowers. Signora Luciano gestured toward the table, which was strewn with bits and pieces of fabric. Bella had wondered about all that fabric from the time she'd walked in the door. The whole scene made her think of the time back home when her family's goats had gotten into the garden and left behind half-eaten zucchini vines, half-eaten tomato blossoms. But now Bella realized that the flowers on the Luciano table had been abandoned, partly created, not partly destroyed. Get to work, lazy bones, Signora Luciano hissed, and her three dirty children detached themselves from her skirt and rushed to the table. For hats. Beautiful, yes? Signora Luciano said to Bella, and even through the strange accent, Bella could hear the craftiness in her voice. You work for me. You get up in the morning. You're already at your job. 
you never have to leave the apartment. And if you work fast, I'll pay you lots of money. The three dirty children were twisting wires and fabric together with dizzying speed. Bella felt a little sick to her stomach. Bella can make more money in the factory, Pietro said. Four dollars a week. Can you pay four dollars a week? Bella didn't know if that was a little or a lot. Her mind still worked in liar. But she didn't want Signora Luciano to think she was just greedy. I have to make as much money as I can to send home to my family, she said, though the words, my family, stuck a little in her throat. Oh, Mama, she thought. Oh, Giovanni and Ricardo and Golia and Dominic. Signora Luciano narrowed her eyes, like a bocce player studying the arrangement of the balls, planning the next throw. Then you work for me in the evenings after the factory, she said. Earn extra money. Bella was about to say, oh yes, oh, anything to buy food for my family, but Pietro stomped his foot. He laid his hands protectively on Bella's shoulders. Bella will not work for you, he said. We are boarders here and nothing else. Bella will not work for you during the day or in the evenings or on Sundays, and neither will I. He was being so disrespectful, and yet Bella felt proud of him, her tall, handsome cousin, who was only 17, but could stand up to this frightening woman, could survive in America on his own. Now Pietro was leaning in close, whispering in Bella's ear. She would cheat you, he said. Every week there would be a reason she wouldn't pay. She is not an honest woman, Signora Luciano. Then why are we living with her, Bella wanted to ask. But her heart was pounding too hard. She was too aware of his breath against her skin and Signora Luciano was glaring at them both now, a clear enemy. I have strict rules for my boarders, she said harshly, as she thumped a sack of onions down on the only clear space on the table. No mixing between male and female boarders. No touching our food. If I find anything missing between meals, that's it. You're out on the streets. No bringing friends here. No using our soap. If you want your sheets clean, you use your own soap. You wash them yourselves, but not too much because I won't have you making my linen, linens fredbare, using them up. No taking our candles. Buy your own if you need them. No, Bella barely listened. None of this matters, she told herself. Pietro will take care of me. You should probably tell them you're 15, Pietro said the next morning as he walked Bella to her first day at her new job. I am 15, Bella said. Really? Pietro said, looking at her sideways in a way that made Bella notice his eyelashes as long as a girl's, curving up from under his dark eyes. Well, I think so, Bella said, as near as Mama can figure. Of course, it's written down at the church back home, but it's not like we could have bothered the priest to look up the baptism records for someone like me. She was babbling. She stopped talking and clenched her teeth firmly because she didn't want Pietro to think she was foolish. She concentrated on dodging a peddler, who seemed intent on shoving his cart right into her path. She narrowly missed stepping out in front of a huge horse pulling a wagon full of... Was that ice? Ice in the summertime? Glistening between layers of straw? Careful, Pietro said, because while she was gawking at the ice, another peddler 
had rammed his cart into her leg. Pietro jerked her away at the last minute, so it was only a glancing blow, but now he was leading her through an impossibly narrow gap between a man puffing on a cigar and a lady with a towering hat. Is it always this crowded? Bella managed to pant. Crowded? Pietro glanced around as if he'd just noticed. The cigar man and the hat lady, this is nothing. On Saturdays, a lot of people don't come out until later in the day. Bella didn't even want to think about what the sidewalk would be like later in the day. Already there were probably more people crammed in around her than lived in her entire village of Calia. Even on Saint's Day back home, when everyone marched up to the church, nobody packed together this tightly. And those were people she knew. These were total strangers jostling against her, their elbows brushing hers, their packages jabbing against her chest. Bella longed to clutch Pietro's arm as she had yesterday, to cling to him for protection. But somehow she couldn't. Touching him would mean something different today. She'd lain awake last night trying to remember how close a cousin Pietro was. Was her grandfather his grandmother's brother, or was the connection her father and Pietro's mother? It hadn't mattered back in Italy. Pietro had grown up in another village. She remembered seeing him only once at a funeral. But now, what were the rules in America about cousins getting married? Even in the dark, her back against the wall, two of Signora Luciano's filthy children snoring beside her, just thinking that question had made her blush. She felt the heat rising in her cheeks now, in the daylight. She tilted her head back, hoping for a cool breeze on her face. But the air around her was hot and still and stale. In America, it seemed, even air got trapped in the crowd. Bella gasped. What's that? she asked, pointing upward. Just more tenement buildings, Pietro said, shrugging. No, there, she said. Those metal things, running down the side of the building like caterpillars. There's one there, and there, and... She narrowly missed poking a man in the eye. He scowled at her, spat, and rushed on. You mean the fire escapes? The stairs on the outsides of the buildings? Pietro asked. The Luciano's building has some, didn't you notice? They're so people can climb down from the higher floors if there's a fire. Bella counted windows. One, two, three, four. All the apartment buildings were five stories high. Back home, except for the priest and the one or two families who actually owned land, everyone lived in one-story, one-room mud houses. The women did their cooking in the doorways. Most nights, no one bothered lighting a lamp or a candle before going to bed on the dirt floor. Fire wasn't a problem. Bella tried to imagine living on the fifth story of some wood-framed apartment building. She imagined flames licking up through the wooden floor. She shivered despite the heat. Pietro was chuckling. I forgot how strange everything seemed when I got here last year, he said. The littlest things... Engraved buttons, food in boxes, bridges, doorknobs, traffic cops. Now I don't give any of it a second thought. Don't worry, you'll stop noticing things after a while, too. Bella wasn't sure she wanted to stop noticing. 
She was thinking how grateful she would be for a fire escape if she ever needed one. Now, remember, at work today, don't let them see how much you don't know, Pietro said. Just do what they tell you. And it's payday. Saturdays are when they give out the money for the whole week. But they won't give you anything. Because this is just a practice day, a tryout. They want to see if you can do the work. What do you mean? They won't give me anything? Bella asked, horrified. Pietro, I have to make money for my family, for Mama, for... She wondered how he could have misunderstood so completely. How he could have agreed to such a ridiculous thing on her behalf. Didn't he know how close her family was to starving? Couldn't he tell by looking at her? Bella, with the bones of her face jutting out in hard knobs, her skin stretched tight, her eyes sunken in, the thin stew Signora Luciano had fed them for dinner, the slice of hard bread she'd given Bella for breakfast, that would have been three days' worth of food back home. They'd had bad harvest after bad harvest ever since Papa died. Why else would Bella have come halfway around the world to this strange place except that her family was desperate? They have to pay me, Bella said, and if they won't, I'll work somewhere else. Calm down, Pietro said. He looked around as if worried that someone else in the crowd would overhear. This is just how they do things here. Any other place in New York City, it'd be the same. I got you the best job I could find for a girl. You work hard today, next week they'll pay you, and then I'll send the money to your mama, right away. You will? Bella asked. Oh, thank you. She walked on, not minding how thick the crowd was she had to plow through. As far as she was concerned, she would walk over burning coals if it meant helping for her, help for her family. The triangle shirtwaist was at the top of a ten-story building. Bella froze on the sidewalk for a moment, looking up and up and up. It made her dizzy to bend her ba head back so far. This was like staring at the mountains back home, except the mountains sloped down gradually, and the triangle building shot up straight from the ground to the sky, its sheer steep walls blocking out the sun. Something like terror gripped Bella, and her thoughts tangled. I can't work in a big fancy place like that. I'll starve, and so will Mama and the little ones. Oh, how far away the ground must look from those windows up there. She swallowed hard, and the only words that slipped out were a question. No fire escapes? Not here, Pietro said. Not in this part of the city. There are hoity-toity rich people just around the quarter. They think fire escapes are ugly. But if there's a fire... Bella wasn't really thinking about fire. She was thinking about falling, or failing, or being fired. There's probably a fire escape at the back, I guess. Or they have extra stairways inside. This is New York City. They have rules about things like that. Now come on. You can't be late for your first day. They went inside and stepped into a marvel called an elevator, a little box that whisked them up to the ninth floor. Other girls were crowded into the box with them, girls in fancy hats and elegant skirts, and those shining white shirtwaists. Bella guessed these girls were royalty of some sort. She might have been brave enough to ask them who they were, 
except that they all seemed to be speaking in other languages. Even one girl who looked Italian was chattering away in a strange tongue that Bella couldn't understand at all. The box stopped and the doors opened. The other girls streamed out, rushing towards rows of machines on long tables. Pietro led Bella to a man standing at the end of one of the tables. This is Signor Carlotti, Pietro said. Signor Carlotti, this is Bella. Scissors, Signor Carlotti said, handing her a pair. When the shirtwaists come to you, cut the loose threads. Actually, that wasn't exactly what he said. Bella couldn't quite make sense of any of his words. His accent was even murkier than Signora Luciano's. But he demonstrated as he talked, lifting a shirtwaist from the table, snipping threads, dropping the finished shirtwaist into a basket. Another girl sat nearby, already slicing threads with her own pair of scissors, with such reckless speed that Bella feared that the blades would slip through the cloth as well. Buongiorno, Bella, Bella started to say to the girl. My name is... No talking, Signor Carlotti said. Work! At least that's what Bella guessed, he said, because he held his fingers to his hips and glared. Bella picked up her first shirtwaist. The garment was delicate and fine, with frills around the collar and gathers at the waist. It was like holding stitched air. Bella turned it over carefully, searching for hanging threads. Ah, there's one. She lifted her scissors, angled the blades just so, gently pulled the handles together. Faster, Signor Carlotti said. You take that long over every thread, you will never earn a cent in the factory. You will be out in the streets and even Pietro won't be able to save you. Your family will starve. It was amazing that Bella could understand what he was saying without comprehending a single word. Bella glanced up and saw that the other girl had whipped through three shirtwaists in the time it had taken Bella to cut one thread. Bella decided that if the other girl wasn't afraid of ripping the shirtwaist to shreds, Bella shouldn't worry either. She sliced through the rest of the threads, dropping the shirtwaist in the basket, and picked up a new one. That's better, Signor Carlotti grunted, or something like it. You're set then, Pietro said. Goodbye. I've got to get to my job. I'll meet you on the sidewalk outside, after work. Okay, Bella said. She wanted to flash him a big smile, to tell him how grateful she was that he'd be waiting for her, that she wouldn't have to find her way back to the Lucianos alone. But Signora Carlotti was glaring again, so she dipped her head down over the shirtwaist. She resisted the impulse to watch Pietro walking back to the elevator. Pietro, Bella thought, such a nice name, such a handsome man, and so kind to me. Faster, Signora Carlotti said. Bella forced herself to stop thinking about Pietro. Cut, 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 drop. Pick up a new shirtwaist. Cut, 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 drop. Pick up a new shirtwaist. This was not a difficult job. Bella's little sister, Golia, who still sucked her thumb and clung to Mama's skirt most of the time, would have been capable of doing it. But Bella found herself having to concentrate hard, especially with Signor Carlotti hovering over her watching her every move, yelling, Faster! Every time she so much as hesitated picking up the next shirtwaist. The pile of shirtwaists with hanging threads kept growing, and Bella couldn't even stop long enough to look up and see where they were coming from, who was bringing them over. Her neck grew stiff, but she didn't dare tilt her head back to relax it, even for a second. 
Suddenly, Signor Carlotti grabbed up one of the shirt waists Bella had just dropped into the basket. You idiot girl, he screamed, shaking the shirt waist in her face. Can't even handle a simple job like this. Look at the thread you missed. The offending thread unfurled from a hiding place in the sleeve. It dangled in front of Bella's eyes, a mark of shame. I'll fire you if I find another one of these. The triangle label stands for quality and pride, not dangling threads, not shoddy work by useless girls like you. Maybe what he actually said was that she was being fired right then and there. But Bella was determined not to hear that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, she said, snatching the shirtwaist from his hands, slicing through the thread, slicing through the thread. I'll never make another mistake again, I promise. Her hands were shaking when she turned her attention to the next shirtwaist. I can't be fired, she told herself. I cannot lose this job. The other girl said something to her, which was totally incomprehensible. But it made Bella look up. She saw that the other girl was showing her something, turning the shirtwaist in her own lap this way and that. Oh, Bella thought. The other girl meant that she'd found a pattern to her work. The hanging threads were in pretty much the same places on every shirtwaist, so the girl cut them in the same order each time. That way she never missed any. Grazie, Bella said. I understand. Back to work, Signor Carlotti screamed. No chit-chat. Bella settled into a pattern of her own. Front, right side, back, left side. Then a quick, quick once-over, just to make sure she hadn't missed anything. Cut, 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 drop. Cut, 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 drop. Something shifted in Bella's brain. She was still whipping through the shirtwaist as fast as she could, and she didn't dare look away from her work, even for a second. But she found that every now and then she could allow herself the luxury of thinking about something besides shirtwaists and scissors and hanging threads. She let herself notice the glorious rumble of the rows and rows of sewing machines, all racing together. She'd gotten a quick glimpse of them before she sat down and started cutting. How Mama would have stared to see such a thing. Sewing was Mama's least favorite chore. When the news had come to Kalia that they had machines to do such things out in the rest of the world, Mama had talked about it for days. Wouldn't it be nice to be that free, she'd asked Bella wistfully. Just tell a machine, this is your job now and you can go out and enjoy the sunshine. No hunching over Anita all the time. No worrying about mending and patching. Signor Carlotti bent over in front of Bella, screaming right into her face. You're slowing down again. The shirtwaists are piling up. Work faster! Spittle flew out of his mouth and landed on Bella's eyebrow. But she didn't dare take her hands off the shirtwaist to wipe it away. Oh, Mama, Bella thought, with an ache in her heart. You didn't know the sewing machine still left some work for girls to do. And the machines are so fast I can never keep up. But she had to try. Bella worked for hours, the shirtwaist flying through her hands. About noon, the machine suddenly lapsed into silence. Grazie, grazie, Madonna mia, Bella thought. They're going to give us a break for lunch. The other girl put her scissors down, stood up, and stretched. Bella smiled at her. She dropped one last shirtwaist into the basket and reached out to place her scissors on the table, too. But Signor Carlotti shoved the scissors back at her. 
back into her hand. Oh, no, 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 no. You do not get a lunch break, you lazy girl. You've done nothing all morning. Look at all these shirtwaists you haven't finished. You sit right there and keep working until they're done. Bella was pretty sure that was what he was saying because he gestured at the pile of shirtwaists as he pushed Bella back into her chair. Bella wanted to fire back angry words of her own. But you are not even paying me today. I'm just learning. How can you expect me to keep up? This isn't right. I'm not a machine. Even back in Calia, the landowners give the laborers a chance to eat lunch. But Bella remembered Pietro saying this was the best job he could find for her. She remembered him saying that it would be the same anywhere else in New York. She remembered that Gulia, her little sister, had had so little food lately that sometimes she didn't have enough to energy to play. She just lay on the blanket staring up at nothing. I can skip lunch today if it means that next week Mama will have money for food for Gulia, Bella told herself. I can bear anything for Gulia. Bella picked up the next shirtwaist. The rest of the day passed in a blur. The factory became stiflingly hot by early afternoon and sweat poured down Bella's face. But she forced herself to ignore it. A blister rose on her thumb where the scissors rubbed, but she just shifted positions, sliding the scissor handles further up on her hand. Her back ached, her head ached, her neck ached, her hand ached. She didn't let herself care. Bella was so dizzy, lightheaded, and hungry by late in the day that she was back to needing to concentrate intensely on each shirtwaist, to focus precisely on each snip of her scissors. So she didn't notice the screaming across the room right away. The girl sitting beside her had to nudge Bella's arm. Zenora, the girl said, and pointed. Bella looked up. Two tables away, a red-faced man was screaming while two other men stood on either side of him, tugging on his arms. The screaming man was thin and stooped over. The men pulling at him were big and beefy and mean-looking. They were screaming too, but their voices didn't carry. Bella could only hear what the thin man said. Of course, Bella couldn't understand any of his words, but she could tell he was very mad. He wasn't giving up, no matter how much the other men tugged at him. The men knocked his glasses from his face. They ripped his shirt. They slapped him and lifted him and carried him out. But still, the man kept screaming, kept kicking and pulling back. Suddenly, all around Bella, the other workers stood up. It was like watching a dance, everyone making the same movement at once, except for one or two laggards who were out of step. Bella was one of the laggards, but she sprang up only a split second after the other learner girl. Bella didn't know why, but obviously everyone was supposed to stand. The wheels of the sewing machine kept turning for a few moments, as if, being machines, they were left out of the dance. Bella could see fabric bunching, thread snagging. Oh no, these shirtwaists will be ruined, Bella fretted. But no one else seemed to care. People were streaming past her, rushing for the elevator. The girls Bella had thought were royalty, some women with matronly faces, the few men and boys who worked on this floor, all of them were rushing for the exit at once. They knocked over baskets of shirtwaists. They trampled the shirtwaists underfoot. And they were all yelling and talking, even laughing at once. Is this how they always act at the end of the day?
Bella wondered, or just Saturdays when they've been paid and they know they'll have the next day off. In the confusion of strange languages, Bella didn't understand. She started noticing that one word was being repeated over and over again. Strike. Boys and girls yelled it. Women murmured it wonderingly. Men whispered it in hushed tones. What's a strike? Bella asked. But in the hubbub, nobody seemed to hear her. Bella let the crowd carry her into the elevator, out of the building. On the sidewalk below, she resisted the urge to bend down and kiss the ground. Oh, thank you, God. I was so high up in the sky, but I made it back down safely. The sidewalk wasn't exactly ground. Anyway, not dirt, but pavement. The rest of the workers scattered, but Bella leaned against the building, waiting for Pietro. He appeared around the corner, his dark hair curling at his temples, his dark eyes flashing, his lips pursed into an O. He was whistling. Bella forgot her aching back, neck, head, and hands. She forgot the throbbing blister on her thumb. She forgot her empty stomach. Does whistling mean he's happy to see me, she wondered? Did Signor Carlotti say to come back on Monday, Pietro asked. Bella had forgotten Signor Carlotti, too. He didn't really say anything at the end of the day, Bella said. She decided not to mention how much he'd yelled at her all day long. Everyone just stood up to go. It was very dramatic. All the workers rushed out at once, laughing and shouting. They kept saying, strike, strike, and a bunch of other workers I couldn't words I couldn't figure out. But that one word they kept saying, strike, what does that mean? Pietro instantly turned three shades paler. Oh, Madonna Mia, he cried. Oh, San Antonio. Bella wasn't sure if he was praying or swearing. Are you sure that was what they were saying, he asked. And you stood up and walked out with all the people yelling strike? Everybody did, Bella said, defensively. But she wasn't so sure of that now. Her memory seemed to be a tricky thing. Had Signor Carlotti still been standing there, still sputtering and screaming about unfinished shirtwaists, uncut threads? I think everybody did, she added. Oh, for the love of God, Pietro said, you just lost your job. But why, Bella said, I worked so hard. But a strike, see, that's when workers walk out because they want to get paid more or treated better or something like that, and usually what happens is that they just all get fired and the company hires somebody else who isn't so picky. I didn't say I was doing a strike, Bello argued. But you walked out, Pietro said. You walked out with all the strikers. Think how it must have looked to Signor Carlotti. Bella felt her knees crumble. She lurched towards the ground and would have fallen hard if Pietro hadn't grabbed her. I didn't mean it, Bella whimpered. I didn't know. Pietro looked down at her with utter contempt. He had his arms around her, but it was completely wrong. Bella jerked away from him. I'll find Signor Carlotti, she said. I'll tell him I'm not making this strike. I'll tell him I'll work all night if I have to. She whirled back toward the door, but now there was a huge man in an official-looking uniform standing there. He held his arms out to the bar, to bar the door and said something incomprehensible. Oh, please, Bella begged. You've got to let me in. The man was shaking his head, pushing Bella away. She landed sprawled on the ground. The other people on the sidewalk had to walk around her. 
Stop it, Pietra said, pulling her up. Signor Carlotti's probably already gone anyway. I'll go find him myself. I'll take you home, and then I'll talk to him. It's not like he'd listen to a girl. Heartsick, Bella trudged along behind Pietro. The jabs and jostling of the crowd seemed like a fit punishment. The faces leered around her. The foreign jabbering hurt her eyes. For all she knew, the entire crowd was laughing at her. What did you expect, you foolish girl? You're just an ignorant peasant. You don't belong here. Go home. Go starve. We don't care. At the Luciano's, Pietro let her in the door. I'll be back as soon as I can, he said. And then he was gone. Bella stumbled on into the apartment. Signora Luciano and her dirty children were clustered around the table, their hands flying through the bits and pieces of artificial flowers. Bella remembered Signora, Signora Luciano's prediction from the night before. You watch out, she'll end up on the streets. And that made it so that Bella couldn't even look at Signora Luciano, couldn't squeeze out the barest of greetings. Well, there's the grand working girl, Signora Luciano snorted. Too good for our business, of course. Has to work in a factory. Tears stung in Bella's eyes, but she wasn't going to let Signora Luciano see her cry. She tried to brush past the table to go into the other room, but Signora Luciano slapped her hand away from the doorknob. Oh no, you're not going in there. Our day boarders are sleeping. Day boarders, Bella repeated, certain she'd heard wrong. Mario and Antonio work nights, Signora Luciano said, so they use Pietro and Nico's beds in the daytime. Bella closed her eyes weakly. What kind of place had she come to? It had seemed so simple back home. She had to go to America to find work, or else her family would starve. Period. But this was too much to think about. Day boarders and night boarders, crowded streets, fire escapes, sewing machines, strikes. Oh, don't pull that high and mighty act on me, young lady, Signora Luciano snapped. You're no better than us. I bet back home your family slept with goats and chickens in the house. They had, actually back when they'd still had goats and chickens. Pretty much everyone did. Animals on one side of the room, people on the other. Although Golia was awful about toddling over in the middle of the night and curling up beside a goat for warmth. She'd cried so hard when the last one died. Why did Signora Luciano make it sound like it was something to be ashamed of, owning animals? Bella wished that they'd had hundreds of goats and chickens. Hundreds of goats and chickens and acres and acres of land for growing beans and wheat. Because then Bella could have just stayed home. Bella leaned back against the wall because there was nowhere to sit. Signora Luciano was still talking, but it was harder and harder to make sense of her strange accent. One of the children said something, and Bella couldn't understand him at all. And then Bella must have fallen asleep standing up, because the next thing Bella knew... Pietro was shaking her awake. Bella stared at him in confusion for a moment. Who was this handsome man touching her? Then she remembered and burst out. Did you find Signor Carlotti? Did you talk to him? Did... Shh, Pietro said, not here. He led her through the back room and strangely out the window. Oh, Bella exclaimed, because now they were standing on a metal landing, the fire escape. They were at the back of the building, looking out into a tiny courtyard, 
and the fire escapes of the buildings behind them. Ropes hung between the buildings, and clothing hung from all the ropes, draped over and attached with wooden pins. Do people here have so many clothes that they have to store everything outside, Bella wondered? But then one of the shirts on the line flapped droplets of water under Bella's face, and she realized, no, it's laundry, drying on the ropes instead of on rocks along the river. In spite of herself, Bella found this enchanting. The Luciano's apartment was on the second floor of a five-story building, so she could look up into three more rows of hanging laundry. Looks like angels, she thought, angels fluttering down from the sky. You still have a job, Pietro said. This was news that only angels could have brought her. Perhaps Pietro was an angel, too. Grazie, grazie, Madonna mia, Bella murmured. Signor Carlotti says there isn't going to be a strike. People were just acting crazy, Pietro said. But if anything like that ever happens again, anybody starts talking about a strike, you just stay put. Strikes are nothing but trouble. I will, Bella said. I promise. She kept her head bowed, meekly, feeling the last rays of the sunset on her head. The only thing is, Pietro continued, I had to bargain a little to talk Signor Carlotti into keeping you on. You have to prove that you're not a radical, or an anarchist, or anything like that. Bella didn't even know what those words meant. How do I prove that, she asked. You have to work four more days as a learner, without pay. Bella gasped. The old Bella, the half-wild girl from Kalia, who'd slept in the same room with goats and chickens, wanted to reach out and slap Pietro. Maybe Signor Carlotti, too, for good measure. But that's not fair, she wanted to scream. That's cheating. How can they expect me to work for nothing? How is that any better than working for Signora Luciano? At least she says she'll pay. Why is my work worth so little that I'm supposed to give it away for four more days? Four more days that Mama and the little ones will go without eating. But see, then they'll pay you, Pietro said quickly, for Friday and Saturday next week. You'll get two days' pay. He was begging her not to scream. He was telling her with his dark eyes, This is a scary place, America. You have to go along with what you're told. I can only protect you so much. And then you'll send everything I earn to Mama? Bella asked tentatively. You'll have to keep some money out for the rent and to pay back the padrone for your steamer ticket. But then, yes, everything else, Pietro said. I'm sorry, Bella. If it weren't if I weren't sending money back to my own mama, I'd... I know, Bella said. She looked up again, wanting one more vision of angels. But the sky was dark now. The sun had dipped out of sight, and the hanging laundry was just dim shadows in the dark night. Oh, mama, across the ocean, she thought. Go out into the fields and find a few more grains of wheat. Look in the garden and see if there isn't one more shriveled tomato hiding in the dried-up leaves. I'm doing all I can, but you'll have to wait. Oh, please, Mama, I hope you can wait. <laughs>